As we move into chapter 12, we're going to get a bit of a a review and kind of summary as we then begin to move into the allotment and the division of the lands uh, of the land of Israel there to the various tribes. And so we've seen the conquest all taking place and God's faithfulness. And as we get to chapter 12, you know, <clears throat> there are, are passages in God's word where it can cause a pastor like myself who loves to teach you the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to really kind of question, is that the way that we always need to do it? When we get to Joshua chapter 12, we kind of go, do we really want to take our time going through verse by verse in this chapter? It almost makes you question, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. But we do know that God's word is, is good and it's all there for a purpose and it is profitable amen y'all with me okay i hope so and joshua 12 does serve as a reminder for us of god's faithfulness it's a it's a roll call of sorts that what god said he's gonna do and we get to see on the other side now here in joshua 12 that god has done exactly all that he said he will do in and through Israel coming into the land of Israel. The kings that stood in Israel's way, ones that might have sent many people onto a retreat, are now seen as conquered. The land has been given to Israel. It's a chapter that can be glanced over, yet it's one that gives pause for praise and thanks of God's goodness and faithfulness. So look at verse 1 here, and we're going to read through a lot of Scripture in one big chunk tonight, and uh, we're going to move on through chapter 12 and into chapter 13 and maybe more. Uh, so have your Bibles open and follow along as we read through this year. Look at verse 1. It says, These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated, and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Aor, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites. And the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chinneroth, which is the Sea of Galilee, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the, the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea, the road to Beth Jeshemoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king, so we've seen the defeat of one king, Sihon, under the leadership of Moses. And then the other king was Og, king of Bashan, verse 4, in his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Ashtroth and at Edre, and reigned over uh, Mount Hermon over Selka, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These, <clears throat> Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh. So, I'm going to see, Justin, maybe you can help me here, um, get... This guy connected for me. Thank you. All right. Now, all this that we've seen, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 12, are all territory that has been conquered under, again, the, the leadership, 
direction of Moses. He was told, remember, that he would not be able to enter into the promised land because of his error at Kadesh when he misrepresented Yahweh by striking the rock when he was only told to speak to the rock for water to come out. Numbers chapter 20 records that for us. Now, that would have been a pretty hard pill, I'm sure, for Moses to swallow, thinking about all that he's had to endure with the Israelites, bringing them up out of Egypt and traveling through the wilderness with all their whining and complaining and, and all that he's had in front of him is thinking, okay, we're going to eventually get the promise. And now that's kind of been kept from him. That would be a difficult thing, I'm sure, for many people to have to face. And yet we see Moses continuing on in faithfulness and setting things up now for Israel to have success. And that should always be our heart as well, shouldn't it? Because we may not be the ones that see a specific work come to fruition. Thank you very much, guys. We may not always be the ones that see a specific work that we love to see God do come to fruition, but we should serve faithfully, do what we can to help others be successful in the work of God and to see God's work accomplished, whether it's in us and through us or whether it's uh, around us, in front of us, or or before us and happening in and through others. See, there's no room for competition in the body of Christ. There's one goal. That's for Jesus Christ to be magnified and glorified, to see people saved and coming to know him as their Lord and Savior. That's the ultimate goal. And if he uses us in, in a kind of silent way or uses us to raise up other people or encourage other people, that they're the ones seeing that fruit coming, then that should be something that we all rejoice in and take pleasure in if we can be faithful in those things and continue to contribute to that work then then we've been successful moses did his part he raised up the next generation to continue on in the things of the lord so moving from the area that moses had success in we look now at the area on the other side of the jordan where under joshua's leadership israel had great success look at verse seven now it says, and these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan on the west from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon as far as Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions. In the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Can Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So verses 7 to 8 are, are summary verses of the scope of the land that, that Joshua conquered. In the remainder of the chapter, we're going to see now a list of 31 kings that have been conquered and the order in which Joshua conquered them. All together in Joshua chapter 12, there's 33 kings that are mentioned as being defeated. The ones that we're going to read here in, in verses 9 to 24, and then Sion, uh, King of Sion and, and Og, who we've already mentioned in the earlier part of the chapter. 33 kings that we see conquered, and it's a testament that only one king stands above them all. It's Yahweh, the King of Kings. You know, Psalm 2 speaks well of this. I, I love this because I'm sure many of the kings are looking here in the land at, you know, what are these guys going to do? Many people have that same kind of attitude Again, so look at what Psalm 2 says. I love this. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Don't you love Psalm 2-4? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. <laughs> he just sees all the intent of the kings of the earth, thinking that they're going to accomplish exactly what they want to accomplish. And God just sits there and goes, oh, if only you knew, right? And here in Joshua 12, we're reminded that God is the one that has his way. And, and the kings of the earth are nothing next to the king of kings, our God. It says, again, I'll finish Psalm 2. It's just a good reminder for us. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today, I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and he perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Well, Israel's done just that. They put their trust in the Lord and the kings of the earth have not. And here now we will see how they have all fallen one by one. Look at verse nine. It says the king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lashron, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron, Moran, one. The king of Ashaf, one. The king of Tanakh, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jotnim and Carmel, one. The king of Dor in the heights of Dor, one. The king of the people of Gilgal, one. The king of Tirzah won all the kings, 31. Now, here we see the order, too, that they're kind of listed. Verse 9 shows, again, this is the way that the campaign of Joshua and Israel coming into the promised land was in their conquest. They came in and took out the central part first as they came into Jericho to go to the central kings. Joshua 6 to 8 records that. That's seen in the kings, verse 9. And then uh, verses 10 to 16 shows the southern conquest the southern kings defeated joshua 10 records that and then as we saw last time joshua chapter 11 covered the northern conquest and so verses 17 to 24 covers the northern king so the list is given and that's a list that might seem kind of tedious to kind of run through but how wonderful it is that god records these as reminders for us again of his faithfulness that god is the one that is over all and all the things that we might see standing in opposition in front of us, because many of the children of Israel, I'm sure, were looking at these kings going, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And yet now, God just shows, I'm able to do it. They all fall one by one in front of me. All things are possible with God. And so what a great reminder for any kind of opposition that they might yet have to face, any kind of challenges that might still be in front of them. Here's God reminding them, just like what we've seen in the past, God will be faithful to do. He records this for our, our good and our reminder here of his strength and his might and that he is indeed overall. Now, interestingly, 
None of the kings from verses 9 to 24 are mentioned by name. These kings who were the power of their day, the ones that were the rich and famous of their time, their names aren't recorded. You know, celebrities today can charge thousands of dollars to perform at your party. A number of years ago, I read that the Rolling Stones will come and perform at your private party for the small fee of $5 million. Celine Dion will come and perform at your private party for a, a paltry $4.2 million. Listen, you can't blame them for cashing in on their fame while they have it. But years from now, people will be saying, Celine who? Who is that? You see, the only thing of importance is where your name ends up. Precisely, will it be in the Lamb's book of life? That's what really matters. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. I love what we read there. Where the disciples come back after ministering as Jesus sent them out. And they come back celebrating all the things that they've done. But what does Jesus say? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's what caused us to rejoice. Not in what kind of a name have we made today, but have we been faithful? Have we served the Lord? Have we put our trust in him? Are our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life? That's what really ultimately matters, where your name ends up. So now that the chief obstacles are conquered, Joshua is ready to move on to dividing the land among Israel. And like I said, that's what the, the remainder of the book, at least from chapters 13 to 21, ultimately detail now is the allotment of the land and the division of the land to the various tribes of Israel. That's what we'll be focusing on primarily. Look at chapter 13 here, verse 1. It says, now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. How nice of God to remind Joshua twice Joshua, you're getting pretty old there, buddy. Man, you are advanced in years. Joshua's like, I know. You don't have to remind me. It's true, he was. Joshua is about 95 to 100 years old at this point. He died at 110 years. Joshua 24, verse 29 tells us that. Yet, God's not done with him yet. 95 to 100 years old. And God says, hey, there's still more to do. There's still more to do. God didn't need to tell Joshua to hang it up and step aside for some young blood to come and finish the work. God will still work in and through Joshua to finish what he said he would do. Because God said in Joshua 1.6, to him be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide and as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and of good courage because you're going to divide as an inheritance this land. Joshua isn't divided yet, so God says, hey, there's still more work to do. Don't think about stopping now. Don't worry about your age, because I will be your strength. I'll be your help, and I'll do this work in you and through you. Christians may retire from a job. Many people look forward to the day they can hang it up in their workplace. But for the Christian, we never retire from ministry. God promised the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death and I'll give you the crown of life. That's how we should live as Christians. I want to be faithful until the day I breathe my last breath. Lord, I want to be out there serving you and being faithful in my life to be a witness and to be a servant of you, God, in whatever capacity that might 
work, whatever capacity that might happen, Lord, would you just continue to use me? I don't ever want to come to a place where I feel like I can retire as a Christian or as a servant of the Lord. Never has to be the case. We can be faithful until death. So God says to Joshua there, uh, at the end of verse 1, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Now, how is that being said in light of what we saw in Joshua 11, verse 23? Look at Joshua 11, verse 23. It says in Joshua eleven twenty-three that Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. Joshua took the whole land. And now Joshua 13, verse 1 says, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. How is this working? Is there contradiction here? Well, Joshua was faithful to defeat the kings, the stronghold of these cities. And, and because that victory was secure, but there was still land to take and inhabitants to drive out. There was still land to occupy, to possess. If these inhabitants remained, well, they would pose potential problems down the road. Case in point, Joshua chapter 11, verse 21. Look at what we read there. Joshua 11, verse 21. At that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. Verse 22, none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Hmm. The Anakim remained. Uh, they remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Now, the Anakim were a tribe of giants. You might be familiar with them. And they put major fear into the spies that spied out the land in Numbers chapter 13. Now, Joshua knew that God would deliver them. Yet, for some reason, Joshua let some of them remain. And it did present problems for Israel down the road. Because Goliath was a descendant of Anak from Gath. The very place that they remained in. And here now, Goliath remains, grows up, and poses uh, a problem for all of Israel. All of Israel is in fear of this giant. All because Joshua was not, again, complete in the work in driving out all the inhabitants. And you know, such is the case for us. Jesus has secured a great victory for us. But we need to be sure that areas of resistance are rooted out in our lives. Because if we let things remain that in us that are footholds of the enemy, <clears throat> they can begin to win back small battles in our lives and take ground that should be rightfully Christ. Because Jesus wants all of us. Don't settle for giving him a part. Don't settle for even giving him the majority. Give him all of you. May you be one that takes full possession of all that Jesus has for you and all that Jesus is to you. And may he possess every area of your life. <coughs> Let your life be fully his and you'll walk in continued strength and victory. Well, look at verse two. 
It says in verse 2, this is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah, that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites. The land of the uh, Gebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal, Gad, below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Mishrapoth and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I command you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So these were the areas that still needed to be swept and cleared. That's listed here. Kings were defeated, and victory was theirs in principle, but a fuller work of possession now needed to take place. And again, it's a reminder for us. Victory is secure for us in principle, but are we truly walking in that victory? Have we truly possessed all that Jesus has, has given us and freed us to walk in? Or are there things remaining that have not been swept and cleared out? Are we allowing the enemy to have little footholds in our lives that impede us from walking in the fullest of victory that Jesus has already secured for us? So, Joshua's told to divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, there in verse 7. Divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance. Sorry, that's in verse mm, 6. <clears throat> and it's repeated again in verse 7 with the inheritance. Now, what's an inheritance? That's the word I want to focus on here. An inheritance is something that you receive from another, right? You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. It's, it's given to you. And you just have to simply freely receive it and take it. That's it. Now, this word inheritance was used once in chapter 1. It was used once in chapter 11. But it's going to be used now 56 times in the remainder of the book of Joshua. 12 remaining chapters. We're going to see it 56 times, that word inheritance. That's an important theme as we see God giving this land to the nation of Israel. It's his land. And he's giving it to Israel as their inheritance, you see. They had to go in. They had to take it, but it was being given to them by the Lord. And I love the verse in Joshua 10, verse 42. It says, all these kings in their land, Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. You see, the Lord was on their side. The Lord's fighting for them. And we see it's his land, and he's now giving it to Israel as their inheritance. That's a great word because it's something that has great importance to us as children of God. Because as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have an incredible inheritance. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a glorious inheritance awaiting us that should cause us to continue on in the things of the Lord, knowing 
all that we have awaiting us is going to be worth every kind of trial, difficulty we might face in this world. We have an inheritance reserved being kept undefiled for you. It will not fade away. Praise the Lord for that. And so Israel has been given this land as an inheritance. It's his land, and he's giving it to them. And we pick it up here in verse 8 of chapter 13. As we begin to see the land being divided now, <coughs> east of the Jordan. And what we see here is uh, land that's being allotted to the tribe of Reuben, verses 15 to 23. So I'm going to skip over some of this just to spare my voice a little bit here. Um, so verses 15 and 23, we see the land allotted to the tribe of Reuben. We see the land allotted to the tribe of Gad in, in verses 24 to 28. And, and then we see uh, half of the tribe of Manasseh, again, on the east side, verses 29 to 33. That land is given to them. And here's a little bit of a, a map. Now, you can't see that too well, can you? Um, let's see here. This is a little bit blowing up more. So you see Reuben, uh, Gad, and then Manasseh up top in the brown on the east side of the Jordan. So um, there's a lot of emphasis placed on these two and a half tribes here in these passages that we're looking at. We're going to talk a bit about that uh, at the end of the night here. Uh, so just kind of keep your mind there. But that's kind of where they decide to settle. And again, that was not uh, something that was initially kind of seen as like, here's the land that God wanted them to go and possess. Everybody uh, saw that as kind of on the west side of the, of the Jordan, but God allowed it. He permitted them to, to rest there. But we'll talk a bit about that. Um, at the end here. Now, <clears throat> look with me at, um, let's see here. Yeah, verse 33. Once again, we see the tribe of Levi is shown here and shown that they have no inheritance because the Lord himself would be their inheritance. It says in Numbers 18, verse 20, I'll bring that up here. Numbers 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. So the Lord would essentially have the tribe of Levi spread out among all the 12 tribes. And they would have places. They would not be given a, a specific area of land like the other tribes did, but they'd be spread out among all the tribes. The Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel. And so they were to be the ones that had that godly influence. And so God desired that they would be spread out, scattered around the land and among the people so that they can continue to have that uh, witness and be the light among the land and among the people. And that's essentially our calling. First Peter 2 verse 9 says that we are a royal priesthood. As believers in Christ, we're a royal priesthood, and we have that calling to be that, that light, to be that witness in the world, and the Lord desires that we as a church are kind of, you know, among the world, being that light and witness and preserving that godly kind of influence. And so God uh, was to be essentially their inheritance and their portion, as it reads in Numbers 18, verse uh, 20 there. You know, I, I'm sure... It could have been easy for some of the Levites to, to wish they could have had their own designated land, you know, to live on and enjoy the fruit of their labors. And in the same way, it's easy for us to kind of look around and wish our allotment in life was a little bit different than what we may have 
And when we begin to focus on the things of this life, it's easy to get disgruntled, to get discontented even. But ultimately, we need to see Jesus as our rich inheritance. No matter what we might have in this life again, we understand the inheritance we have in and through Jesus, and that he is far better than anything we can receive in this life. It should cause us to be filled with peace and contentment because he is the better inheritance. And that's who he was to be for the, the tribe of Levi. Well, chapter 14. All right, we're doing good. We're cooking here. Chapter 14. <clears throat> this isn't a long chapter. Um, verses 1 to 5 detail the land now that's to be divided up west of the Jordan. It says in verse 1, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. So remember, that's how we get now the 12 tribes. Because if you take Levi out, you go, okay, what are we missing? Joseph's not usually included, but Joseph gets divided into two. Ephraim and Manasseh makes it the 12 tribes now. Hope that's clear as mud for you. But um, it says in verse 4, again, the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So we see that the land was divided up by casting of lots. That was sort of like rolling the dice. Ultimately, God was sovereign over all this, as we read in Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast in lot, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Interestingly, the last place that we see the casting of lots done is in Acts chapter 1 when they, the, the remaining disciples were deciding who's going to replace Judas as, you know, the 12th apostle. And they cast lots and it fell to Matthias and he's chosen. Now many believe that, you know, they were a little bit presumptuous in doing so. That maybe Paul was the one that God had reserved to be the 12th apostle. And that's all conjecture. We don't know exactly. But it's the last time we see casting lots from then on. It's the Holy Spirit that's leading and directing them. And the same way we don't need to rely upon, you know, chance or circumstance, we have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. And we see that being played out in Acts 13, verse 2, when the church as led by the Holy Spirit were directed to set apart Paul and Barnabas to the ministry. And so that's how we're to connect our lives now, not just by rolling the dice and kind of whimsically trying to decide. It's by seeking the Lord and hearing uh, and being directed by the Holy Spirit today. Look at verse 6 with me. Then the children of Judah <clears throat> came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barney to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So 
it seems that <clears throat> before the lots were cast to divide the land, Caleb comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, <laughs> I got a request of land that I want. And it's a request not made out of presumption, but out of a promise. Caleb recalls a scene 40 years ago when Moses again had 12 spies enter the land of Canaan to spy it out. Caleb and Joshua, you know, came back with a, a positive report while the other 10 came back with fear and panic and set that kind of fear in the hearts of the people. It says they caused the heart of the people to melt, Caleb reminds them. And the Lord said to Caleb in Numbers 14, verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him to the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Because he has a different spirit. What was that different spirit? I believe it was that spirit of faith. He trusted in what God could do. The 10 spies saw the giants in the land through their own strength. Well, Caleb and, and Joshua saw the giants through God's strength, through what God was able to do. And we'll see Caleb in this chapter as a man of great faith. God doesn't need great men. <laughs> he just needs people that have faith in a great God. And Caleb was such a man. And what Caleb does here is simply lay claim to the promise that's already been given to him. Moses had said in Deuteronomy 1 verse 36, uh, when he talked about how nobody of that generation would be able to enter in the promised land except Caleb and of course Joshua, Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children, I'm giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. See, Caleb isn't asking anything unreasonably here. He's not boasting in his goodness saying, hey, because I'm such a great person, I think I deserve this land here. He's just quoting what Moses said, and he's laying hold of the promise that God made to him. That's it. That's not a wrong thing to do, is it? I think many of us would be better off if we simply believed and claimed the promises that God has already given us. And the Bible is full of God's great promises that we can hold on to in faith and claim and say, this is what God has said and this is what I'm going to believe. And that's exactly what Caleb is doing. How many people worry and fear and fret because they're not trusting the promises that God's already revealed to them in his word? How many people are anxious or, 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 or living in, in, in just dire situations because they're failing just to rely upon God and the promises he's already shown us? Caleb holds on to this promise and says, hey, I, I want to make this claim, not because I deserve it, not because I'm so good, but because God's already said it. And I'm just going to receive that now. I love that. Caleb wholly followed the Lord. And God is going to reward him for that. And God says as much. He has followed me fully. Caleb had a wholehearted devotion to walk in the ways of the Lord and to walk in obedience to God. And he's being rewarded now. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> and now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, Caleb says. As God said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, 
Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Verse 13, and Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Caleb is 85 years old. 45 years has passed since they spied out the land. And this guy is acting every bit the same as when he first went into the land. He hasn't slowed down a bit. He's feeling even more invigorated at this point in his life. That's what faith does. It doesn't rely on our abilities or our strengths. It relies on the Lord's strength and what the Lord is able to do. And that's precisely what Caleb is doing here right now. Though he is significantly older, he's still serving the same God. And he knows that God is able to do great things through him. And that he is able to do great things through God. Oh, I pray that we would be people who grow stronger in the Lord the older we get. Can that be said of us? The older we get, we just grow stronger and stronger in the Lord as our faith continues to increase. And it should as we now have greater experience to see how God has been faithful. And that's how we began, isn't it, in chapter 12? God reminding Israel how good he's been, how faithful he's been. And the more that we record the faithfulness of God in our lives, the more that we continue on growing in faith in a great God and continue on in strength in him, just as Caleb is doing. And notice, uh, man, this, this is just great because Caleb, when he says, okay, <clears throat> I'm going to accept this promise now that God's already shown me, Caleb doesn't settle for the retirement package, he's not looking for a beachfront property where he can sit pina coladas on his beach chair while watching the sunset. That would have been all right to do by the Mediterranean. He would have, he could have, he could have accepted that. Put me on the beach by the Mediterranean Sea. That sounds pretty good to me. He doesn't do that. He chooses the mountain where giants are. That doesn't make sense, does it? For a guy that's 85 years old, I mean, most 85-year-olds are going, I don't know how I'm going to get up there, let alone how I'm going to face the giants when I do get up there. And he says, give me the mountain where the giants are. That's the kind of faith that Caleb has. Not only would this be a challenge just to make it the mountain, but it would be a significant challenge waiting for him on the mountain. But he's ready to face the giants. He's ready to face whatever challenges are in front of him. How? Because he's letting the Lord do the work through him. He says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. It's not, oh, because I think I can do it. It's not because, you know, uh, I've proven myself before. He says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. Stepping out in faith is an opportunity to give God opportunity to work. It's giving God an opportunity to work. Not that we test God, but God has already been calling Caleb here and working his life. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And Caleb, we've already seen, has wholly followed the Lord. He's been loyal. He's been faithful, obedient. And he's ready now to let the Lord show his strength through him. 
it may be the Lord will be with me. That's the same kind of faith that Jonathan stepped out in when he went against the Pharisee, uh, the Pharisee garrison, garrison. Him and his armor bearer. He says, hey, you know what? Let's go take him down. It may be that the Lord will be with us and give us a great victory in that day. And Jonathan experienced a great victory. How many of us don't get to experience that work of the Lord because we're so afraid to step out in faith and see what God might do? Caleb wasn't. Caleb was ready to launch out. Caleb recognized that these challenges are opportunities to bring change, opportunities to bring greater blessing. In fact, it was Caleb that said in Numbers 14, verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's what he said to all of Israel when they were all fearing over the report of the ten spies that there were giants in the land, and they're going to devour us. What does Caleb say? They are our bread. Joshua and Caleb saw these challenges as their bread. These challenges would nourish and strengthen them. This is going to be like, like feeding us and strengthening us. They're our bread. Do we ever look at challenges like that? Like these are the things that God is going to use to make us stronger and healthier? Do we ever look at challenges like that? Let's not retreat back to comfortability. Let's not look for the the beach chair, and the pina colada. I'm speaking to me here primarily, okay? Trust me, that's my go-to. Virgin, pina colada, but... Let's not retreat back to comfortability, but rather press on and face challenges as opportunities to see what God will do and allow ourselves to be invigorated and strengthened in the process as we see God work in and through us. It says in verse 14, <clears throat> Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and then the land had rest from war. Kiriath Arba means a, a walled city, and, and Arba was the founding ancestor of the Anakim. The giants, right? So this is a city that instilled kind of fear. Walled city, secure. Arba, man, the founder of the, of the giants. But now it's called Hebron, which means association or fellowship. Because Caleb wholly followed the Lord, he enjoyed sweet fellowship now with the Lord, and the people had rest from war. There was a peace among them. And that's what happens when we walk in obedience. There may be challenges ahead, but as we wholly follow the Lord, we can enjoy peace in the midst of it all. Peace that we know we're obeying and following the Lord. And as we obey and follow the Lord, we get to see him move on our behalf, which again brings further peace. And the writer of Hebrews who's writing to a group of people, Jewish people who were tempted to move back under the law and follow Judaism and, and kind of move away from just Jesus. 
The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, when therefore since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. We have a great rest promised to us in and through Jesus Christ. A rest that will one day be realized in eternity, but there's a peace that comes with that now today. As we live for and follow Jesus. There's a rest that is to be enjoyed in him today. And I pray that we don't come up short of what God has for us. We don't come up short of that peace and rest. May we follow obediently and with faith-filled lives like Caleb who followed wholly, wholly followed the Lord. May we be like Caleb And again, as I mentioned before, a, a focus given on those two and a half tribes. See, the two and a half tribes are, are seen in this passage a lot, and there's a lesson for us in that. So God's not going to force you to go beyond where you want to go. But the reality is, he has the best in mind for us. Why would we settle for anything less? And though the land to the east of the Jordan you know, look good to these two and a half tribes where they thought, hey, you know what, this is great. This is wonderful. We can settle right here. We've got everything we need right here. Yet it's there that they will be vulnerable to military attacks, to ungodly influences, ultimately led to their downfall, as you read in First Chronicles 5. And that too can happen to us if we choose to stop short of God's best for us. So may we be those that Move forward like Caleb with a, a wholehearted devotion and obedience. Move forward like that faith of Caleb to say, you know what? I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it may be that the Lord will do this. I want to give him that chance to move and to, and to do his thing on my behalf and for his glory. Let us move with faith and trust in the Lord and step out in all that God has for us that we might possess all of his promises and all of his good that he has because he has so much for us. Let us not come up short of it. All right? Worship team, would you come? Let me close in prayer. Lord, as we look through your word here tonight, there's a lot of things that are, are easy to kind of just skip over, but God, we thank you for little nuggets of truth that can be so applicable to us. Lord, I, I just think of a man like Caleb who, at an old age, didn't want to settle down, didn't want to take it easy. He wanted to continue to step out and take all that you ultimately had from possess all that you had. And I pray, Lord, that God, that would be a lesson for us here tonight, that by faith we would be willing to step out even more than we do. And just to allow you to move and to show your strength and your might 
and to do great things all for your glory, God. Increase our faith here tonight. Let us not fear the the challenges. Let us not retreat from hardships. But may we see those as opportunities to grow and ultimately to be strengthened, as Caleb certainly was. And may we live this life as an example for others to, to see and be encouraged by. As we live faithfully to you and, and again, just reveal all the more your faithfulness in our lives. So strengthen us here tonight as we live these lives wholeheartedly for you, God. May nothing get in the way. May we not leave any areas untouched. But may we remove all things, all obstacles that would impede our growth and our progress. That truly we would live with a heart full for you, God. So we ask for your help in these things. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.